We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect. There are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, American, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. Welcome in to the Roto-Wire NFL Podcast. John McKechnie, Mario Puig, hanging out with you on this Thursday. We are going to get into some NFL news, and then we are going to spend the later half of this podcast talking a little bit more college football we kind of started it last week and i was able to get in on an industry mock last night uh that was pretty fun and kind of informative because adps basically just aren't set right now as far as college goes which is not overly surprising but uh yeah it was hosted over on fan tracks it was really fun and it, for a 16 rounder of 12 teams uh we knocked it out in 52 minutes so like it was it was fun and so you it, just were on auto draft the whole time in essence, I mean, okay. but like I've queued auto draft. Oh no, I'm joking. But it's like, yeah, I'm just. That's one of those things. Where it's like I don't even know if I can click that fast, let alone twelve people. Yeah, the spe- um, yeah, the spe- everyone kind of brought their A game as far as draft etiquette goes. So that was nice. Yeah, I I would dare say like slightly even rare. Yeah, I absolutely. Mean, usually, I've I've been in mock drafts, not um certainly not with these guys, uh, but in I don't know other things, industry ones, mock drafts, mind you, not like league drafts of any kind that play out and there'd be like a yeah can we roll that back six picks i didn't mean to take that guy yep. and i assumed i picked him so i walked over here and started microwaving a hot dog and by the time i came back it was you know the next round and that's when i that's why it took so long for me to notice sorry can we move back like, like yeah for sure even me 
total draft saint move. So I was picking from the 10 spot. I waited till my second pick of like a, you know, a short cluster to run out and uh, change my laundry. So I, you know, made sure that I timed that up correctly. So I wasn't making anybody. Weak. Yeah. And just as, you know, it's just as virtuous as it is to be quick with your picks and be timely, punctual, whatever. It's also, you know, we have to get that bread and you can't be sitting there for, you know, four and a half minutes, not picking. It's like, you got to go, you know, cut some garlic or something, but then come back and make your picks. Yeah, like you got, you got to grind yeah. at all times. So yeah, I wasn't able to be there for this one. Uh, I've kind of been out of the scene for about a year, but uh, yeah, I recognize some of these names uh, among the players even. And I of course recognize guys like uh, John Lobb and Mike ba- Bainbridge and, and the folks who uh, I assume they're the ones who kind of put this together. Yeah. Lo- Lobb's one that, uh, oh, that John Lobb, yeah. officially like set it all up. Okay. Nice. Uh, do you like your team? You had, Nathan Rourke, uh, who you said he's Canadian, I think. He sure is. Okay. He's from so Ontario. That's a, that's a pretty good pick. I thought so. I really like that pick. I mean, it was one of those ones where um, basically the first couple of, of quarterbacks go off the board, and then what I noticed big time was that pre, like the premier running backs are really, really at a premium. Like They, they are going to fly off the board. You can't really wait for them. Like I was picking at 10, so... I think four of the of the kind of t- consensus top running backs were off the board by the time I was getting ready to go, and so I was left with with Rourke. There were some other really good quarterbacks uh, still there, and this was a two quarterback format. Okay, so I wanted to make sure that I was leaving uh, my first you know pair of picks with at least one quarterback. I ended up getting two, but Rourke. I know it's not like the the sexiest pick anymore because he's not really you know, this new commodity anymore. And he's not the flashiest guy, but the production is so bankable. Uh, he's a guy where Ohio, he plays for Ohio. Ohio's had a stable of veteran running backs for the, you know, it feels like AJ Olette and uh, Malik Irons were there for forever. Now they're not. So I think he picks up an even bigger share of the rushing workload. He's already picked up like back-to-back seasons of 38 touchdowns combined double-digit rushing touchdowns in each of those seasons so it's not like the most exciting pick but it's extremely bankable and I I felt like at that point rather than rolling the dice on a guy like Adrian Martinez who I do like a lot uh, don't get get me wrong like it was it was tough to pick Rourke over him um, but I just felt like Rourke tends to see lesser competition I think Ohio might be like the best team in the MAC or or close to it whereas Nebraska is still working to get there uh, at this point, Martinez is going to be awesome this year. I definitely was kind of hoping that he would fall to me with my second pick, but going Rourke there, it, it just made a lot of sense. So was it Martinez who might have been the pick if not Rourke? Yes. Yeah, okay. absolutely. Okay. So yeah, unfortunately for you, Martinez was taken the very next pick by Josh uh, Chevalier. Is that how that's pronounced? Uh, let's go with that. Yeah. Chevalier, if we're hedging. Um, but yeah, so that, that was a... Uh, it was one of O'Rourke, O'Rourke and Martinez, not both. And uh, I didn't expect Bryce Perkins to be this high in the rankings. You got your 15th overall selection. But uh, two quarterbacks, I guess that's like a long wait for your early second rounder before uh, the late third that you'd have to sit until. Yeah, and with Perkins, it's an interesting case. And I'm glad you mentioned him. Um, again, like I, I would have hoped that Martinez was going to be there for my, for my second pick there at pick 15 or whatever it was. Um, but... I think this will be a, a trend that that carries across all college fantasy football drafts this this year, where someone's going to really like Martinez. So, like if you if you think yeah. that you can wait and get him, you're probably mistaken. So, uh, anywhere after pick ten, uh, if you want him, you have to go get him, in my opinion, because the hype is going to get 
out of control the the closer and closer we get to the season. It's already pretty crazy, but and, and I do believe it too, for the most part. But uh, yeah, Martinez is definitely like the trendiest guy. Yeah, so your third pick is Jalen Rager at the 34th spot. And I guess like the next quarterback, uh, not that I know all these names here, but the, the next quarterback I remember, or I don't know this Spencer Sanders, sorry. Uh, but I know Jordan Love, he's at 44. So it's like those two that you would have been down to for your second quarterback if you hadn't taken Perkins where you did. Um, is that how you would play it again, knowing that in hindsight? Or would you consider uh, you know, running back a receiver at the second pick and then uh, one of those two quarterbacks at your third? Um, I definitely, I, given that the, those were the two quarterbacks that would have been available next, I definitely like that. Love is someone that I'm kind of uh, fading away from a little okay. bit this year because no Ron Kavian. Yeah, that that's a problem. Uh, also, the I think Jalen Green, the the USC transfer that that grad transferred there, who was pr- pretty productive for them last year, he's gone. But the big concern for me is Utah State taking a step back with Matt Wells, uh, the coach, and uh, I'm blanking on David Yost, uh, the offensive coordinator. Both of those guys are down at Texas Tech now. So losing that that scheme that was absolutely killer last year, and also having to replace so much receiving production, like I think it's going to be borderline impossible for Love to even replicate uh, the production he had from last year, let alone improve on it. So he's someone that I, I you know, I'll let someone else take him. I think he's a talented player. Um, maybe he will kind of find, get himself onto some NFL radars. Um, but for fantasy this year, I'd have a hard time seeing him uh, replicating last year's number. And back to Perkins just for like one second. Uh, Perkins did lose uh, kind of a, a key cog in that offense in Olamide Zacchaeus, uh, who, you know, absorbed a ton of the target volume for Virginia. Uh, but he also lost uh, the running back, Jordan Ellis. I think there, that there's this Virginia offense is basically going to be the Perkins show. Like he there's yeah. the efficiency might take some dips uh, along the way, but I still envision him putting up, you know, over 4,000 total yards. I think he's going to push for a thousand rushing yards uh, just because Ellis is gone. And Virginia really has uh, no talent, de- talent or experienced uh, depth uh, at running back right now as it stands. So uh, unless they get like a Tavian Feaster or something from Clemson. Um, they're going to struggle to run the ball with their running backs, and I think Perkins is going to have to shoulder that. If he holds up over the 12 games, because, I mean, they are going to be asking him to take a lot of hits, presumably, um, I think that he's going to pay off like pretty huge. I think there's going to be a ton of total yards and, and you know maybe even more rushing touchdowns than he did a year ago. So that's why I went uh, Perkins as my second quarterback. Yeah, Zacchaeus and um, Ellis being gone is a lot of – from scrimmage function just missing from that offense and uh i don't know i i know case was productive ellis too but it, they also seem like um I, I doubt like either one's departure would would make the perkins part of the formula uh at hazard like i would yeah. imagine it's just more the kind of thing like you said where they'd they'd maybe have to be like hey can you uh stay a little late today maybe take 32 carries in this one something like that so um yeah the the rushing upside is always of course important in college football where the the, i don't i guess this isn't like every single time but there's generally a policy of subtracting sack yardage from rushing totals so uh, it's not like the nfl where drew Brees is great it's like if drew Brees is taking another minus uh 200 yards because of his uh you know get the sack yardage or whatever um you can imagine how that plays out in college fantasy football um but yeah so i was gonna ask like who some of your favorite value picks in this were but we already know one and that's uh larry roundtree uh he's the guy this year you got him at the 39th pick it looks like yes yeah i do i do like uh larry roundtree i mentioned him on the pod 
Uh, last week, yeah, he's someone that I, you know, I have no no qualms taking him over a guy like C.J. Verdell, who's someone that that a lot of people uh, tend to gravitate to. Uh, Kylan Hill of Miss State, uh, another guy that went in that same area, but I think Roundtree just has basically no competition for carries outside of Kelly Bryant, the the quarterback there. And Roundtree proved to be a, a very productive back in his own right last year. Kind of overtook a guy in Demario Crockett who was older. You know, maybe kind of had the edge going into the season as far as the pecking order was going to be concerned uh, for Missouri's offense Uh, and they have I think three of their uh, offensive linemen returning uh, this coming year so I know playing in the SEC isn't great but I think that Roundtree is going to be someone that that is bankable workload and he he's shown that he can handle it so I think you know you're going to see 20 22 maybe even 25 carries per week for him with like a five and a half yards per carry and he's, he's going to get plenty of touchdowns in there as well maybe improve the passing uh, or pass catching uh, workload as well so I really liked his uh, skill set there and at 39 uh, that was an easy call for me yeah so uh, beyond that I mean did you have any thoughts on your approach to rounding out the rest of your roster and what you know whether you were pleased with the outcome i guess the, the biggest sort of game theory uh element that they started to come down uh, i really did stack my running backs um, i love my running back bench it's pretty strong i'll get into that a little bit later i got a guy like ricky slade who's going to be penn state's new starter right uh, coming up got him uh got john emery someone that i also mentioned on the pod last week the the true freshman for lsu Gonna have basically no competition for carries once he gets on campus. He's so much better than C- Clyde Edwards. Uh, Hilaire, it's not even funny. So, uh, a tight end run started. I forget where exactly I can pinpoint it. Um, I think yeah, around eight or so, it looks like. Um, so, people started just pulling the trigger on tight ends, and, and you also have to uh, draft a kicker and a defense uh, in this league. So, uh, you're, you're only getting 14. Uh, skill position guys quarterback and and the uh, receiver tight end running back uh, type of deal and I felt like outside of like your top three or four tight ends it's a total crapshoot okay uh, as far as far as that goes so Parkinson one uh Colby Parkinson yeah um he, he went at like the know. 61st pick it looks like oh he did geez that's really that's really I mean uh, for what it's worth I projected him uh I'm doing some of the or I'm doing the Pac-12 and then a couple teams from the big 12 for john this year and uh i came out to something like 760 yards and 11 touchdowns okay i guess that that you know i guess that has to do with no arcega white side no real proven receivers and uh, the caden smith or whatever it was yeah, so um but at the same time they got pretty weak looking running back crew like it'll be better if like, i guess the offensive line kind of suffered a bit last year so no one i mean if bryce love is doing 4.7 you know two years removed from uh, doing eight and a half or whatever it was of course the knee was part of it but not all of it because all those other guys were suffering too but uh costello seems better than like the running game is and even if by default you know like stanford isn't just going to fall off the map so if they're staying in games the way they're accustomed to and the passing game is picking up more of it i could see parkinson putting up pretty big numbers but it's also one of those things where it's like it's kind of like in the nfl with travis kelsey coming off the year that he did it's like i do we really want to project that he's he might have like 1500 yards in the event that Tyreek Hill doesn't play or is it just like he's already at the max point for what a tight end can do because um if Parkinson's efficiency in the past like like he he had something like uh, 14 touchdowns and like 30 catches or something yeah, in his career yeah. so it's like that has to slow down but 
if it doesn't, it's just going to be stupid production. Yeah, and, and you know, he, he's in a spot. Obviously, Stanford's famous for, for getting the production out of their tight ends, and it really does kind of feel like where else are they going to be getting, especially that red zone production from, if not from Parkinson. And the receivers aren't that great. I mean, no. Osiris St. Brown is interesting, and uh, the one who went on a mission who was like a four-star recruit a couple of years ago, it's kind of interesting, but odds are they're going to be way less than uh, what our Sega Whiteside and Trent Irwin were. Right, exactly. But yeah, so Albert O was down a bit, and the last time I was paying attention, he was kind of like the number one guy like two years ago or whatever. So because uh, yeah, he had, that, a little he had bit. that unsustainable production in his own right, where he had like the eleven touchdowns on thirty catches. Type yeah, of yeah, he did, and then like. I don't know. I guess they, got, they were kind of on to him the second year. They were, and he he got dinged up a little bit too. So basically, what happened was people were taking these tight ends like uh, oh Hunter Bryant actually fifty six it looks like yeah for for Washington. So that that's a bit risky. That's a bit rich for my blood, and I, I love Hunter Bryant. I think he's like in, in terms of talent, maybe he's their maybe best good. receiver. Yeah, like I was looking more at a uh, like was it Fuller and some of those other guys, and those are all like Fuller and. Uh, what is it Kalechia or something like that. Chico McClatcher or no not oh, Chico oh, Pagelia. Pagelia, yeah, yeah. um like those two it's like oh these are nice enough numbers but they're clearly number three receivers and like Bryant in his game has you know his games that he the few ones that he has played had some pretty explosive moments and it's like I can imagine him kind of just being the exact same thing to Washington that Parkinson is to uh Stanford but I guess the durability is a little more uh anxiety inducing yeah, yeah that that knee issue is you know something to where you know I, I would have taken him at the right price but uh what was he the second the second or first I wouldn't want to pay that either board. yeah that's yeah. that's just a bit much and tight end generally um, you know once you get outside the the two or three guys that, that are going to be really bankable like like him like uh parkinson or, or jared pinkney this year albert o in my opinion still uh calcaterra is interesting uh really good player but also has lee morris to deal with so again i just don't find tight end to be super super uh valuable in college fantasy for the like for the most part so i let people go ahead and take theirs and with my last pick it looks like Yes. Yeah. Um, I went ahead and got Carl Tucker from North Carolina. Uh, he's a good player. Um, I know that they're switching schemes up this year. They, they brought in, I think, Ole Miss's offensive coordinator that they obviously cleaned house uh, after how terrible things went the last couple of years under Larry Fedora. And among tight ends. Larry with... Fedora. <laughs> I yeah. forgot that guy already. <laughs> Getting mad. <laughs> Sorry. Um, gosh, where, where was he? Okay. So Carl Tucker averaged the fifth most yards per target of tight of any tight end that had 20 or more targets last year over 12 yards a target uh two touchdowns on on his 16 catches not an out, out, outrageous rate by any means but they had a lot of quarterback issues a lot of issues in general last year but tucker i think is going to be a big staple and they, they obviously lost antonio or anthony uh, ratliff williams to the nfl uh, or just out of eligibility so i don't really think that north carolina has a true kind of ace receiver at least right sorry now. who's running that show now uh it's gonna be mac brown and mac brown and do we know who's offensive coordinators F- phil longo oh i don't know who that is the, it, oh, oh mrs uh, uh hugh offensive freeze coordinator the last couple of years hugh freeze is the head coach at liberty oh uh but is, is it like that tree or something do you know or wait do we know what kind of offense he's gonna run it's you know i imagine it's gonna look like what Ole Miss has the last okay. couple of years all right so yeah i mean if if uh if they've got something going on i definitely don't know the the receivers that well and ratliff williams wasn't that great as much as he still was their best one by quite a bit so um somebody's got to do something and you know it's good to have an, one of the uh 
tenured guys at, at tight end if you're if you're looking to kind of like punt at the position and that's totally what i did and i was totally fine with that i mean the, the gap between like tight end 10 and 20 is often very very small so yeah it's uh you're probably too young or no you weren't too young but uh you might not have been like playing the game that much do you remember when devin johnson the running back from marshall had the loophole tight oh, end the, yeah that was my like that first was year that okay. was crazy that was the one year you really wish you had the highest scoring tight end because uh, <laughs> he's also the highest scoring running back oh my god uh, not the highest scoring running back but pretty high but uh yeah as, as far as the tight end bargains go what do you think about uh, harrison bryant is the atlantic one right yes that, i see he went in the uh 14th round to zach hall and i feel like that's probably a pretty good pick because uh, is, is lane kiffin still there he is yeah he and is. they lost uh, some guys they, they they lost the um the two running backs uh kendall bryles is at florida state now but i mean this is oh, okay. lane lane kiffin i think is a better offensive mind than kendall bryles is so i mean i'm not like worried as long about as somebody yeah as long as as long as there's the just that um you know that that ethos of lane kiffin there, just like that yeehaw kind of thing i don't know like like they're good as long as they're going to be running up the score and stuff like that but uh that's a lot of from scrimmage production gone i know it's running backs but white and singletary being gone is going to be a boon for whoever's returning in the offense and uh i think they lost a receiver too oh they lost um what's his name durante Jovan durante yeah. yeah so uh yeah i think i like that pick too in the uh, 14th he, round he was someone that i that it was between uh him and, and tucker and i think it was it when you're doing like a you know a first run industry mock like this you kind of want to just like plant your flags on, on certain things so yeah if this was a real league i probably would have gone the harrison bryant route that's probably the smarter route but i just kind of wanted to get it out there that i do like uh cole tucker so you know i figured the take is his go for it. yeah you can't that you can't have uh carl tucker or larry roundtree or like if you want to be in on it you know Must call, call john and you know work out some sort of uh you kick up some amount of your uh revenue to him each week and if not uh he i've been watching the sopranos so i i, I know how this works now you're I, in the sanitation business yeah and uh if you don't pay if if it's too light one week uh you, well you got the principal of course and uh, the interest and you know otherwise if, be careful or you're gonna be uh what is it what happened oh, sorry uh, about your knees yeah you're gonna all of a sudden john's gonna be camping out in your living room ordering all these uh, crates of bottled water that he doesn't even want but it, who cares it's like he's he owns your house so you should have paid up yep uh, i'm still collecting on the eno benjamin from last year like when when i took john emery in this draft uh no one really said much no one like blew up at it the way they did uh the benjamin pick last year but someone chimed in like you know he he did know about benjamin before all of us last year so so don't still get, collecting those re- residual checks don't get bust out like whatever poor souls were uh, criticizing the benjamin pick last year <laughs> They will remain nameless. Um, any other like questions you had on, on on how this went? I thought receiver was kind of a, a an area that I felt like I could have played better, but I just felt like there was more like tangible value as far as the receiver or the running backs go. Like guys that I really believe can be like top twenty ish type of guys that were falling super far. So uh, my my receiver moves were a little bit more dart throws. Um, I know you mentioned Jalen Rager earlier. He's someone that. I don't love the quarterback play at TCU. I didn't love it last year either. It didn't stop him from putting up huge numbers. He's so good. And He's it, insanely good. If he was, he might be like the best receiver in the country, even as much as, you know, Chenault and uh, the Alabama guys, they're terrifying. But uh, Rager is a 
total beast. Like he he's five star blue chip totally. Yeah, I mean he he kind of caught my eye in TCU's bowl game against Stanford when he was a true freshman. He just like dusted them for like this ninety yard touchdown. I was like, who is this guy? But it's like you know, we like a, a similar player as as a pers- bit of like a you know bit of perspective here. We both like Nicole Hardman a lot. Yeah, I'm still yeah. high on him. I would take Rager over him in a second. Like I wouldn't even think about that twice. And that's been the case for you know a year now or two yeah it's like imagine if Nicole Hardman was playing in the big 12 and also had like a 35 percent target share yeah like he's been slightly better he's been playing receiver his whole life instead of just a year and not that not that I know that that's the case with Rager he could just be a better natural receiver than Hardman but uh yeah I think he I think Rager was probably better a year ago than Hardman will be a year from now and I think Hardman is above average in both of those frames yep so so yeah he's he's someone in you know from like the the game from playing the game angle the fantasy game uh he just is gonna get so many freaking touches is this ppr saying um they didn't really mention one way or the other i think we it kind of played out like it wasn't okay because yeah borgie in the second round would maybe be a little high so people really like the the borgie stands like I, I get it and james you know james williams moving on means that he's gonna get a ton of work obviously and he's gonna get a ton of catches just i have a hard time seeing him averaging like over 4.8 yards per carry or something I don't know. yeah and it's not that common for washington state running backs to run for like 14 touchdowns it's usually they run for whatever five maybe yeah. <laughs> four more three more three more likely so, i don't know um but yeah I, I looking through and granted i haven't been able to study the whole country yet so i i just can't comment on a whole lot but i, I already buy into your round tree reasoning at 37 or for some of those high ones and looking closely at the pac-12 i'd be a little anxious about cj verdell like you are just because uh what die is there travis die and yeah. uh, cyrus cyrus who need, we don't even need to say his last name no nope, you, you already want know us to cyrus yeah he's he hey, seems like cyrus yeah 210 pound goal line back is probably not a goal line back it's just he, he's incidentally also uh good is at he that like really short or something does he just get he was listed at low? like six one two ten or something uh-huh. so maybe it's six foot two ten something like that uh but yeah it's not like a you know it's not like a zach crockett situation where he can only do that it's it's just kind of that was how they uh kept him happy last year but mm-hmm. um i don't know i i think that verdell is pretty maxed out last year good as he might be good as oregon's offense might be uh looking down a little bit at, i like jd spielman at the 12th pick in the fourth round by zach hall if it's ppr especially but even if not uh he might put up pretty stupid numbers if uh you know, he just seems really good already yes. and if martinez takes a step forward and they kind of go full ucf out there it's like he's gonna because they're not gonna have like the nine deep receiver rotation like or if if they do he's still too too much better than the rest of them to have that uh you know Diedrich snelson dilemma kind of thing happening. yeah yeah so yeah I, I like that one i can imagine him being a pretty big uh nfl prospect pretty soon too yeah so yeah spielman spielman's a really interesting player he's he's almost to me, he's almost like the Big Ten's version of of Jalen Rager in a way. Okay, yeah, I mean, he yeah, he seems pretty good, like easily the best of uh, a line of Nebraska receivers that have had a few pretty good guys. So, yeah, he he could have a pretty monster year if he's in one of those you know right place, right time career moments, you know, where he he takes a step forward the same time his team does or something. Yeah, I could I could definitely see that that outcome, and you know, again, I, I think as far as his market share target volume it's going to be 
you know, among the highest in the, in the Big Ten. He should, I, I think he's going to push for like 30% of, the, of their targets. Or that would be a lot. That. Yeah. yeah, that would be that would be an explosive result, I think. I think so, too. Um, let's see. What, what else? Um, I guess T. Higgins was my first uh, receiver. I like that pick. Got him with the third pick of the sixth round. Uh, that felt like a nice value. I feel like there there's the general just kind of personal conflict that everybody has with Clemson where everyone knows that they're so freaking good, but at the same time they're so good that they don't play 60 minutes every week at all. So um, you, you worry about Higgins' volume being capped relative to some of the other receivers. Ross, though, area. Justin Ross went like in the fourth round here, and I don't I, – I feel like this is one of those cases where people are – plainly letting recency bias cloud their judgment oh, not to argue that higgins should be ranked ahead of ross but i don't think the gap whatever it might be is is this much like this is just uh letting the last four weeks of last year erase your memory for the prior two months yeah it, it, that's pretty much exactly it and and you know maybe that I think there's a a very good chance that that Ross ends up justifying the the fourth round price tag. I just think that there's a better chance that Higgins outproduces his sixth round price tag. Yeah, and and Ross, if he does hit there, it won't be at the expense of Higgins meet, meeting the sixty third pick, uh, whatever whatever return you need there. So. Um, yeah, I thought Lawrence went a little late too among the quarterbacks. To be honest, I don't know if there's a six point passing touchdown, but I really think he could go over like three touchdowns a game in the, the regular season maybe push for 40 touchdowns so i think higgins and ross are both and what is the deal with rogers is he kind of like questionable to start the year with the uh, acl tear? yeah he tore his acl in in spring practice so i'm kind that was of, in the spring oh, crap. I, as far as i know yeah okay. so that sucks I pretty much have him written off that does uh, yeah i would stink. write him off um that I ha- I if have you Lawrence think at 32 passing touchdowns okay but that might be low but yeah with rogers out that really does set the floor a little higher yet for ross and higgins because even though he wasn't putting up numbers in that role there's something about that dabo slot role where it's just like you can't win i don't know why like i i still think adam humphreys is really overrated but it was pretty hilarious like his clemson career he's just like 6.4 yards per catch like <laughs> he just can't go anywhere and rogers was the five-star guy and he was other than our what was his name artavis scott that one year where he inexplicably had like a thousand yards after the catch it's like you can't produce from there but uh, whoever they have is probably not as good as rogers yeah it'll it'll be interesting because they also got two of the best receivers in, in this incoming freshman class and okay. obviously that Dabo's not shy and no one really should if these guys are as talented as as they seem to be i mean obviously we saw what happened with justin ross last year so they're not shy about playing these so what happened with sammy watkins and deandre hopkins too yep so this guy joe nada and frank ladson both of those guys are studs uh one of the one of the clemson guys one of the clemson defenders during spring practice compared one of them to to so is that not as in isaac or haloti uh as in haloti oh okay interesting i think he has a brother that's going to be a pretty high recruit that's a running back so clemson should be set for a while and i'm pretty sure he's from california too so clemson's everywhere man clemson's nuts yeah that's not a good sign for anybody really (laughs) nope and they got the the best player in the country uh to replace trevor lawrence for next or for two years oh good so yeah that that machine that machine is well oiled okay um but yeah i'm looking around and i I frankly got to get more into the upcoming year to know most of these names i'm in like the ninth round range and i i'm looking for somebody i know and i just 
Uh, it's okay. All right, we, Keith Corbin. I don't even remember who he is, but I remember the name. Yeah, he's he's a guy that plays for Houston. So oh, that's, Houston. That's, that's right. Yeah, he's the receiver. Okay. Yeah, it was always him and Stevenson. And yeah, Stevenson's uh, the one you really want, but Corbin, I feel like, is going to get a, a bit of a, a a discount, and I think that he could be. You know, it's it's not like King just is going to be going to Stevenson like 40% of the time or anything. So he's going to spread that ball around. And, and in this new um, Dana Holgerson offense, that, that's going to be putting a greater emphasis on throwing it. I think the target volume for a guy like Keith Corbin could go up. So high volume of targets from De'Ara King, the best quarterback for fantasy purposes. Seems like a good thing. And I know who he is. Yeah, you do. Yeah, with a little <laughs> help, I've got it coming back now. Um, but yeah, other, otherwise, uh, I I can't really give any sort of verdict. I I would love to say your t- your team is awesome, John, but I, I just don't know. It might be terrible. It might be terrible, but I I like it. Um, you got the I, Carl Tucker flag, and that's what's important. That had to get that out there. Had to get the John Emery flag out there. Um, I will also uh, take on all comers as far as it goes with uh, Jeremiah Holloman. Uh, I think that he, you know, Georgia lost literally three receivers to the NFL last year. Yeah. Holloman had like six, five or six touchdowns on like 20, 25 catches or something like that. He's obviously going to be Jake Fromm's uh, number one target. Uh, I think people are, are putting a bit too much of a, or a little bit too conservative with their projections as far as what Georgia's passing game is going to be this year. I think that they're, I mean, they don't have Jim Chaney anymore. It's going to be James Coley, who I know was promoted from within, but I think that they're going to be kind of turning Jake Fromm loose a little bit more. I think people are a little bit still holding on to their Jake Fromm as a true freshman, only throwing it like 20 times a game. That's not going to be this offense. And Hallman, the clear, clear number one guy, uh, he came in with Jake Fromm. They obviously have a pretty awesome rapport. So even if like the volume isn't crazy, I'll take anyone's bet for eight and a, eight and a half touchdowns over. Okay, uh, I I won't take that bet. Okay, there you go. Yeah, because I'm I'm pretty strong as far as that goes. Um, another value pick just uh, for for leagues that that encompass all 130 teams in the uh, FBS. The Dariel Mack. Uh, pick right after Holloman could pay off huge at quarterback whoever wins that UCF job and I think it's going to be Mac even though uh, they did get uh, Brandon Wimbush from Notre Dame Uh, whoever wins that job is going to be in an awesome spot to put up pretty massive production and Mac I mean it's obviously a very limited sample but he kind of just ripped it up against Memphis last year in his first start in a pretty high pressure situation the American Athletic uh, Conference Championship game really convincing as a runner uh probably can't be much worse than Wimbush is as a passer so I think that if he does win that job it's gonna be huge yeah I think I think that that's true I w- what I would watch for not that this would uh be make it anything wrong with the Mac pick where it was it would be possible for them to kind of just like throw a bone to uh Wimbush and maybe have kind of like a what was it J.W. Walsh uh, Mason Ooh. Rudolph kind of thing going uh, on Walsh always like was able to put up like viable fantasy numbers at min price just because he they, would they run just, for more yeah, touchdowns than he had the carries yeah he was, it, that was insane he had like 30 touchdowns <laughs> on like 100 plays that one year it was yep. ridiculous um, not that it would be that drastic but UCF if they keep scoring 50 points a game then there might be room for both in a sick way yeah the the two situations with unsettled quarterbacks that that uh if you pick the right one if you cast your lot with the right guy it's going to pay off huge central florida one of them although that is a very terrifying uh 
potential outcome that you bring up, but also Spencer Sanders is the Oklahoma State uh, redshirt freshman. Uh, really, really good player. I think he was like the Texas Gatorade player of the, of the year, his last year in high school. And he's competing against Drew Brown, who obviously has been there uh, since last year. But Drew Brown was a grad transfer last year, and he still couldn't beat out uh, That's bad. T- Taylor Cornelius, who was fine. but Drew Brown kind of got ran out of Hawaii. Yeah. So... I think you know, Drew Brown stinks. So probably not great. So I think Sanders and Sanders obviously offers a bit more rushing upside uh, than Drew Brown. So um, assuming he wins that job, I, I have no problem ranking him as like a top fifteen quarterback. And I, I think that that will end up happening, and, and he will end up in in that range. Oh, I didn't even notice Wimbush went three picks later. So yeah, that was uh, interesting. That was Josh uh, getting both of those. So uh, he cornered that, I guess. Yeah, and then he it was funny, you know, just because it's a mock. He's like, I don't know if I'm supposed to be handcuffing in a mock, but uh, yeah, that's how I feel. Yeah, <laughs> so, right. well, that makes sense because if uh, as long as they don't split, then it, then it'll kind of be like burning a pick because uh, yeah, don't want to use two starting spots on the UCF passing or quarterback position, but if. Uh, if you get half of it at one, that truly might be enough. Just because I don't know if they're what was what was the kind of touchdown production that Milton was doing like forty plus, right? And yeah, if total. These, these guys are probably running more than he would because he's a good passer, and they're maybe not. So, yeah, you never know. Uh, J W Walsh uh, lives on in South or in Florida. Anyway. Yeah, he does. <laughs> That's where he retired to. That's where witness protection took him. Yeah, so it, it's a. Uh, interesting draft here I, I am wondering what it would look like if we didn't have a bunch of flag planters like john uh just oh just i got i got one more flag i planted okay. <laughs> i gotta get to it what where is it uh 13th round cam joey uh, gatewood joey gatewood joey gatewood who is that he is a redshirt freshman at auburn he's going to be competing against bo Nix, who's a, a legacy guy at auburn but was also a five-star recruit but joey gatewood looks like cam newton like okay. like uh he played just a couple plays against purdue in that blowout bowl game so it's all kind of uh anecdotal but it's like man that guy is huge and he's fast and he's got a freaking cannon for an arm if he wins this job which is entirely possible and auburn's offense does the thing that they do every two years where they or every year really where they're they're down so they were down last year they're going to be back up this year and gatewood i think that's my hedge is that he's going to win this job and if he does man like that guy has all the town in the world um, i really like him so i think if if things break the right way uh, he ends up as a top 20 quarterback as well, and that might even be conservative. But, again, that's a lot of ifs. There's a, there's a lot that needs to happen between now and week one for that to go through. But at Bo Nix, fair bit smaller. I, I think Gatewood, especially given Auburn's lack of star power at running back right now, could use a little bit of oomph from the quarterback position. I think Gatewood can give them that uh, as far as the running game goes. So I like Gatewood uh, there. That was, that was my last uh, flag plant. Okay, well, that's interesting or whatever, but I still haven't recovered from Jeremy Johnson let down, so I I won't consider this. I'm suppressing this the memory of the past thirty seconds or so, <laughs> starting now. God, that was ugh. all right. So I think w- with that we can we can uh, close out the the college portion uh, of this podcast. Let's move on uh, to the NFL. Uh, some rookie news uh, that's not awesome but also not entirely unexpected especially if you've been listening to this podcast we've been on this for a while not surprised that marquise brown was unable to be a full participant in the team's mini camp uh this month 
Uh, still not fully cleared to to run at full speed or anything like that, but the team is still hoping that um, he'll be good to go from his Liz Frank injury by the start of training camp. Yeah, so uh, almost another two months, more, maybe more like six weeks to be fair, but yeah, it's a, you'd like to hear that being cleared up by now, if only because it's like he's probably going to have some significant amount of rust and uh, foot breaks can't be that fun to return from in the sense that you almost have to kind of like not learn how to run again but like you know you have it's one thing to say like i can't wait to try out my foot and another to get out there and you know feel feel the torque really bending it and then still feel safe yeah you gotta have that yeah like regain the confidence in your cuts and your breaks you're getting off the line yeah so you have to find a way to stab that little guy on your shoulder who's who's telling you like your, your foot's gonna you know snap again if you if you keep if you try to run as fast as you can and yep it's 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 probably not that easy to get rid of and he's got to start working with lamar jackson but so i haven't been picking marquise marquise brown in any of the best ball drafts that i've been doing but i feel like it really could be an immediate impact health permitting and it could be the kind of impact to where it's best suited for best ball just because he's going to be a high average depth of target i would imagine because the part of the thing about Lamar Jackson that some people not to go into a huge Lamar Jackson tangent, tangent but just I've seen a, just a minor one. Yeah, I've seen you know the valid concern expressed that well based on how he was playing last year there's actually not much fantasy upside here cuz he only threw for, you know, more than 150 yards once or whatever it was and it's like that offense is going to look a lot different. Morningway was putting out what you put out when you don't know what to do really. Mm-hmm. And you're remember you're doing your best to remember like what did they do in high school or whatever again? Like he couldn't he didn't know how to throw the ball with Jackson because Jackson admittedly needs some kind of accommodation. Like there's some things that he does better than others and the things that he's not good at. You really want to limit his exposure there. Yep. But the way you can make it easy on everybody on the offense anyway is to increase the percentage of his targets that go specifically downfield on the sideline or down the seam and especially off of those uh, like play action scenarios basically because he's really good at making that mark andrews throw over and over yes you want him if you want him to run you know drag routes yeah maybe he's not so good at that he might he might have a bit of a high release. He might not have the best timing or accuracy there but for some reason he's really accurate when he throws far downfield even if he's not good at anything else, you can take that and the fact that he poses the rushing threat that he does and kind of just keep yourself good. Like you might have, uh, you know, some three and outs. You might not move the chains that much, but the times that you do move the chains, they move more uh, spans of the chains each mm-hmm. time. So yeah, and it's one of those things where it's it's um you know you can keep the defense off balance with it and get lots of kill shots and it's like they have to choose do they want to buy the run threat if they do they better guess right because if they didn't guess right marquise brown's in single coverage and lamar jackson he's better at throwing 40 yards than he is at five so um that's the way it could work and i like the pick because it seems to indicate that they seem to know it mm-hmm. like that like they said like like they could have they could have uh targeted like an Enkeel harry or something and that wouldn't have suited uh, lamar's game nearly as well so i'm, I'm glad that they're at least seemingly like thinking the right way about it uh so if his foot cooperates I, I think that actually could work right away and he only needs like i don't know 75 targets to approach 900 yards if that's how they're using him so yeah i mean it, i just we'll know we'll know for sure you know 
I'd say, you know, come the start of training camp. But yeah, if, if he's ready to go and if he's ready to go by the start of the season, you know, this isn't like a Hayden Hurst situation where he broke it during training camp and like his year I will say, wash. I, I would be pretty concerned if he's not there for all of training camp, at least uh, to do like conditioning and stuff. Like if, it's one thing if they want to hold him out of contact a while, but I, yeah. I really want him running routes pretty much right away. Yes, I, I think that that's, that's definitely like a fair concern and, and something to, to keep uh, a definite eye on, but still keep the faith as of uh, right now. Uh, let's move on to James Conner. I uh, had kind of a, a eye-catching quote um, from earlier talking about just kind of what he expects the workload to be now that the Le'Veon Bell question is completely out and, and uh, you know, he's kind of the number one guy here, but he's kind of pumped the brakes on, on how much he's going to be, you know, the proverbial workhorse here. And as a guy who's going around the end of the first round uh, early in the second round, he, he goes ahead and says uh, that he expects the workload to be spread pretty evenly. He said he's been impressed by Benny Snell and Jalen Samuels uh, too. So, do you buy that? And then, you know, kind of my larger question is using this as a jumping off point. Like, where are you on James Conner at his current ADP and your just kind of general expectations of him for this season? I'm not really buying him. And it's it's something I'm a little anxious about because I think he'll do well with the touches he gets in that offense. He was certainly convincing last year. But on the other hand, I think Jalen Samuels is the more toolsy, more naturally talented of the two. And I don't think it bodes well for Connor, especially that Samuels was able to produce the way he did last year as a runner, because like he, he was the goal line back basically is all he really did in college, and like some of his carries were more like you know out of the slot and things like that. It wasn't Samuels, you mean? Yeah, it wasn't yep. analogous to NFL running back play. He got there pretty much raw in that function, and he still held his own. Even uh, even had some you know genuinely promising moments that way. Uh, he's more athletic than Connor, and the one thing that was always natural about Samuels is the pass catching. Like he doesn't, he doesn't need to try to be better than almost all running backs as a pass catcher. So that's a big concern in itself for Connor. And then there's also the chance that Samuels will just keep getting better the more reps that he gets as a runner because he just he he's been playing a new position all this time. Basically, he wasn't he wasn't playing the same position in North Carolina State. So even as someone who's low on Snell, although I have to admit they do seem to be you know uh pumping him up quite a bit i'm skeptical that uh a they'll that it'll bear out in practice and b if it does i think it'll fail because mm-hmm. i don't think there's any objective indication that snell is anywhere near connor or samuels's level but i think samuels is a concern in itself uh that was the, I, I was always writing off snell and i've been off connor all off season okay yeah so i think that the samuels concern is, is definitely real and I, i'm just kind of more along the lines of i just don't think that connor is a rb1 that i feel confident in yeah so for instance i I would take Joe Mixon and Nick Chubb ahead of him. Easily. So most people agree on Mixon by now. He's rising up the boards a little bit lately. Uh, Chubb seems to be falling a little bit, if anything. You can sometimes get him even like uh, four rounds or sorry, four picks before the second round turn. More likely he goes in the early to mid second, but he slips sometimes and he rarely goes ahead of Connor. I'm usually the one picking him if he does. Okay, so... I- where are you on like a David Johnson versus Connor in a in a top David early? Johnson? Okay. Yeah, he's, he's that was a layup. He's so. pulled well. He's pulled away emphatically. So like we were, we were talking about him probably like I don't know three months ago, going at like that twelfth, fourteenth sort of overall pick range. He's ahead of Melvin Gordon now. Like he's oh, wow. he, his yeah. People finally stopped 
you know, being insane and, and looked at it for a second, they were like, oh yeah, David Johnson's a top five pick. Like there's, I, I, I actually, I actually would probably split it evenly on shares with Gordon myself. Uh, I don't, I don't, I, I've always punted on the question. It was easier to just say like, well, I think David Johnson should go top eight back when he was going as late as 14. Uh, and it seemed like a, a, it seemed like a good flag, a flag plant on my part. Uh, but yeah, now I'm having to like take a, take a firmer stance now that everyone agrees he's top eight at least. And the question is now is like, is he top four or top six? And, uh, I'm admittedly not sure there, but he's, he's well ahead of Connor in any case. Okay. Fair enough. And then, uh, looks like looking at the ADP stuff that we have on the site, uh, Todd Gurley or James Connor Gurley from, well, Maybe in season-long redraft, I would take Connor over. I don't know. But in best ball, certainly, I would take Gurley. And generally, I, I would have to take Gurley right now just because there just is not as much known for certain as as the market is kind of implying. Like Based on the way some people are adjusting the rankings right now, you would think that we were given a definitive verdict that like Todd Gurley can't play more than 12 games or something like that. And yet... There's a chance that he's exactly the same person that he was the past two years because he's had this condition the whole time. Like I, I would I would get more panicky. I would get I would get more in line with how much some other people are freaking out about this. If there was some detail that like you know like if Jay Glazer came out tomorrow and said like oh we found the moment where Todd Gurley's knee like started to deteriorate worse than before. Like if they said like this is when his new condition flared up and here's why it happened. I would go like, okay, well that's, that's specific. That's, that's pretty concerning to me now that you're specifically illustrating what's wrong here. What's at risk, but people just going like there's, it's like people for the past six months have been or uh, four months anyway, have been just like standing around going over and over. Todd Gurley was hurt in the playoffs. Like they just keep repeating the point over and over and get themselves more worked up about it without actually adding any new info. So yeah, it's sort of of like, what you were talking about with like Justin Ross and the recency bias thing earlier, but yeah. like in a different in a different context, obviously because this is more injury related. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's people are taking what they saw last of him and it's like, oh, well, how come he didn't play in the NFC Championship game or really in the Super Bowl? And they just take that and take that to mean that like these next eight months he's not like rehabbing it or anything or trying do working to get his knee in shape for the season right so uh, to be more specific best the, the what i can tell anyway that this is just what i think from the from the information that i have i have to figure todd Gurley's knee is a time bomb and yes it's like a problem right now even like it hurts after every game every practice i believe that but he's that's not unique to him like the condition as it's described is the same thing that not only has Ajayi had all this time, but Gurley himself had it. And in that case, we can figure, like, yes, the knee might be problematic, but the basic issue last year was not that the knee broke never to be fixed again, but that the usage they gave him stressed it to the point that it was harmed and needed time to recover, time that they didn't give him because they were in the playoffs and had no choice but to keep desperately throwing him back out there as damaged goods, and so he never recovered until he had time off. So... If he comes out in week one and looks like Eddie George, then I'll be like, you know, okay, yeah, he's toast. But why would that happen? Like, we, we don't have anything new. We just have reason to believe, like, he tweaked the knee and then they didn't let him rest long enough to fix it. And as far as avoiding it in the future, not giving him 30 touches a game for the first eight weeks of a season would be a good start. Yep, you know? And, and now they have stuff in place to make sure that doesn't happen. Yeah, I think, admittedly, Gurley... Like I'm not a, we're, the question for us is not like is he worth the worth the top pick or the top third pick. 
It's just, is he worth the 10th pick now? And that's really different because even if he's only getting like 17 carries a game, he smashes that spot. If he's, if he's out there for 14 games and he's getting like 17 carries, uh, you know, f- four catches a game in that offense, the way it scores points, like we're compared, like that basically would be like a Joe Mixon workload. And the, the only difference is it's in the Rams offense instead of the Bengals. And yet you'll see people take Mixon ahead of him more often than not now. So Stand. yeah, it's it's weird. Nice. It's weird yeah. to watch. I don't know if you if people just had like more of a year or eighteen month memory instead of like a four month one, I would be less confused about these things. Speaking of memory, didn't Sony Michelle have like some knee issues coming out? Oh of college? crap! Yeah, there's and that. He got a knee scope. Yeah, knee scope. That's not good. That's the second one in a year or less now. No, it's like his third, isn't it? He's had some knee issues. Yeah, so he he had a red flag, and even aside from that, he was never nearly as good of a prospect as Chubb. So uh, as smart as the Patriots are, they are still bad at evaluating talent. You know that he's 24, and so is Todd Gurley. Right. uh, Somebody was tweeting about Mike Clay, I guess it was, today. So, yeah, I mean, uh, whatever. Sony Michelle, we'll see how far he falls. I would imagine he might be like a basically the same situation as last year where it's like he's he falls to like um you know the sixth or something and then when they see him back in practice they're like oh back to the third or fourth <laughs> round <laughs> never and, mind you didn't see that yeah, so i don't know he, he's a good player of course but um uh, that that injury is interesting i think there's a i thought there was a pretty much a coin flips chance anyway that damian harris would turn out to be the better player in three years so uh, i'm admittedly higher on harris and lower on michelle than most people but uh you don't want to you don't want damian harris behind you if you've got bad knees or at least uh, michelle's fantasy owners don't want that interesting yeah that's a, that's a good point uh let's round things out uh get a little local flavor in here let's talk about the packers that uh, packers obviously doing their uh mini camp this week everyone's trying to figure out where the where the targets are going outside of Devonte adams now looks like the picture is i mean i wouldn't say it's clearing up but there, there are things being said that are that is that are drawing attention, uh, namely Marquez Valdez Scantley, Scantling running with the starters. Right. So uh, we don't know where it's going, but we know to start things they went with. Of course, Devonte Adams is unchallenged at the lead receiver spot, but in two receiver sets, it was Scantling, Valdez Scantling, I guess I should say, who is the other outside receiver. You could reason he's the second receiver in that case. If he's not the second projected receiver in that case, then it would be Geron- Geronimo Allison, who has opened in the slot and i would imagine equinemia st brown is effectively fourth i don't know if they've zeroed in on these guys playing slot versus outside on any particular basis i would imagine they're experimenting right now and um geronimo allison's market is surprisingly high or was i should say surprisingly high even before this came out today and i really don't get it because he's just a fringe nfl player this is like geronimo geronimo allison but he to plays me, with Aaron Rodgers right and that's something but he's only playing with Aaron Rodgers until he as long as he's like better than other receivers who can also and I mean you look at Illinois where Geronimo Allison played you look at his workout old tweets you look at his old tweets um well no his old tweets are cool uh, <laughs> if you look wild. if you look at his uh, prospect profile though it's not so good this is this is almost like Rob Kelly, the receiver to me, where I'm like, <laughs> what the hell are you people even talking about? Do you know who this guy is? Like, do you, what are you looking at? Um, he's fine. Whatever. He should be a wide receiver five or six, though. He should be playing on special teams. Um, if he is their best slot receiver uh, option right now, I would guess that's just 
really bad for the receivers on the Packers then. I, I think that's bad for Aaron Rodgers if that's true, but I don't think it is true. I think we saw Valdez Scantling and Equinamis St. Brown in the slot enough last year where I don't think that's their natural spot in either case. No. And yet they were both fine there. And Allison, again, is just this guy who's he's just like a subpar athlete who is barely productive enough at Illinois to kind of be on the radar as an NFL like undrafted free agent prospect. And if we think back specifically about his time in Green Bay, we remember Aaron Rodgers and his familiarity with Allison is kind of like his main attribute that people talk about, specifically his like improvising skill with him. Now, why did Rodgers have to improvise so much in the past? Because the regular plays didn't work ever. If uh, what's his name? LaFleur is any good. Maybe the plays will actually work by design now. In which if case... LaFleur was any good, would he have torn his Achilles at practice? So, Did he do that? Yeah, he's like wheeling around on, oh the, my on God. those scooters. What a buffoon. <laughs> Football guy. Yeah, so... Uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm sure... No, you're making a good point. Go on. I'm, I'm sure... Uh, yeah, I can only imagine like he gave like a rousing speech and then just like did like almost like a... Almost like a different playing out of the Vince McMahon dual uh, quadriceps tear thing, you know, where it's like it's the, the moment is ostensibly like, listen to this guy. He's a very powerful man. And then it's just all of a sudden his legs give out and everyone's everyone's like, is do we is he not the leader now? And Steve um, Austin hits him with the bedpan. Yeah. So anyway, I, I, I like to believe he just gave a big speech and they were clapping and, you know, then the leg gave out and. <laughs> They just kind of walked away pretending they didn't see it yes. or something. Um, but anyway, if if the, the plays do work as scripted in Green Bay, then the improvising uh, part doesn't come into play as much. And if the plays are working by design, then Allison has to be better at running slants and posts and curls or whatever than the next guy instead of being better at having telepathy with Aaron Rodgers in NFL Street. You yeah, know? that feels real flimsy. Yeah, it's like... They're not going to improvise as much if if there's more if there's more merit to Lafleur and his scheme generally than there was to McCarthy. So if Allison is productive this year, I'm sorry, but I really didn't see it coming. I would definitely bet on Marquez Valdez Scantling ahead of him, and I'm not saying buy Equinemia St. Brown, but I, I'm I'm not buying Allison myself. And I mean, from the looks of it here, we have like the, the grouping breakdown uh, for, for the receivers and their alignments. Allison was mostly outside last year. Only 52 sna- of his uh, snaps uh, came out of the slot. And it looks like in terms of his production, wasn't really doing a whole lot with I it mean, either, he, was, so. he was pretty productive last year, to be fair. It's just, I don't know. It's four games, you know, I... I I really don't want to put four games over his college career and just the general lessons we've learned over the past 10 years about what it means to produce or uh, test athletically at certain levels and how those correlate to NFL outcomes. It's just, I, not with my money anyway. I'm not betting on it. Yeah, I don't think I would either. Do you have any other uh, final parting shots here before we uh, sign off? No, um, I guess I'll just to just to be mean again to geronimo allison i'll just say i think alan lazard would make a lot more sense in that spot than uh, he's on the roster so yeah. uh alan lazard was really good at iowa state his whole career tested better than allison huge uh, big guy you can't rule out guys like him or jamon Moore. if if equinemius doesn't do it then you can't rule out all those guys pushing aside allison it's just 
unless there's a unless Allison is a really rare exception. Yeah, it's it's going to take a lot of things breaking the right way, I guess, for for things to work out as as the market is anticipating. But I saw him go. Sorry, real quickly, I saw Geronimo Allison go in the ninth round of a draft best ball draft. So like, easy. Now. We're not we're not talking about late round flyer. We're talking about like your wide receiver four. So. I don't know. It's I would at least wait to see if that price falls a bit because that's I'm not willing to go anywhere near there by about five rounds probably. Yeah, that's that's way too rich uh, for for either blood it seems. Um, But that's gonna wrap things up for our show today. Uh, Thanks again for listening. This was the RotoWire NFL podcast. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.